0: Welcome to The Looking Glass A podcast exploring the relationship between people and their creativity I'm Neil Cowley and this week we're talking to composer, producer and pianist Ashling Brower Whilst perhaps best known as being one half of Ava Waves The Knittin' sawney managed duo with violinist Anna Phoebe She is also a prolific writer of music for TV and film most notably composing the soundtrack for the recently released White Riot, winner of the Best Documentary Award at the BFI London Film Festival. Being of Dutch and Irish descent, and having spent her childhood in a plethora of locations, Ashling is perhaps used to the nomadic artist's life. However, she's currently based in Berlin, and that's where we catch up with her. This interview was recorded in October 2020. How very how very um, Berlin your uh, your studio looks clean does it clean lines yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. those it's, keyboards it's... those keyboards are dust free I guarantee they're dust free by the looks of them
1: I can't I can't write if my studio's a mess it's so bad <laughs> like I'll spend an hour just fucking cleaning because otherwise I'm just like oh no can't can't do anything
0: oh that's interesting yeah I I, I um. Because I, I, I had a conversation years back with a friend of mine, and he said um, we, we both we were both poles apart in terms of I have to clear everything up before I start, and he can't do anything until he's creative, and then he clears up afterwards. I can't cope with that idea.
1: Really? So, so what are you? You like? Do you? Clean, I'm in your camp. Yeah. See, Anna's again the complete opposite. Like she's her studio is always like a massive mess, but she's right. super creative, and like that's kind of her mind. Whereas I'm more like the the list maker and right. you know i need to like have things in order and then i'm like okay now i can get stuff done
0: list list maker a good one that's another thing I, i've also been challenged upon is my endless um creation of lists i, I like making lists. Oh,
1: it's so good though isn't it i love it like and then you even think- sometimes it feels like you've done something even though mm. you've not ticked off anything on the actual list you still feel more productive for making the list
0: well, I I um I did that fatal thing during uh when it, when the first part of the lockdown happened in the UK, I made a big list um, sitting at home in my garden with the sun beating down. I made a really big list and twenty
1: twenty oh, planning of the year.
0: Massive, and I completed it, and eh? it, and it it was horrific. Oh, Have you ever completed your list?
1: I mean. I always add to the list, to be fair. So I feel like it's a never ending cycle.
0: That's what I normally do. And I normally, I normally, it, it's always, there's always sort of four or five things which I definitely won't touch this year. And I, but I I keep them there and they sort of bother me. They're like, they really are sort of a bit of an ulcer. They kind of sit there, yeah. just irritating you. Yeah. But, um, no, I, I, I. There was a. I sort of made an A list and a B list, and the A list I completed, and th- and then yeah. that was that was trouble. I,
1: I have I have the four categories. I sound like a psychopath now, but mm, yeah. I have the four categories: like urgent and important, urgent but not really important, and then mm-hmm. not urgent and not important, and and so it goes on. And so I can kind of like see, like, okay, what do I really need to do? And then there's always just some that get moved over. Yeah. From the, like, not urgent, not important, but somehow yeah. still need to be on the list. And they've been there for maybe three, four years, you know. Right.
0: Well, that's, <laughs> I really, that's really reassuring. I, th- I think you're not alone in that. That certainly sounds like a mirror of my situation. I've, I've got, there's old lists, there's new lists, there's the current list. Then there's, <laughs> then there's lists in too many places. I've got, like, notes on my phone. And then I've got, uh, I've got I, I email myself sometimes. Every day, actually, nearly every day, I email you, myself email with yes. a list of the things.
1: Mm? During lockdown, when it got really lonely, did you just send yourself an email every day? Just, to yeah. be like, just checking in. <laughs> how are you doing? In. Yeah, just wanting to
0: make sure that you're covering the list, Neil. Um, how how are <laughs> you getting on with it? Um,
1: yeah, brilliant. I, yeah, I've I, taken to analogue lists now. Like I, I have, in fact, oh. I've got it here. My little black book. That yes. is... Literally just a year's worth oh, of lists.
0: I could show you my book. It's very similar to that. It's, you've got a little elastic, um the little elastic thing that goes round that's supposed to mark a page, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah right?
1: exactly. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That's a nice book. That's a nice list. Nice. Yeah. List. So just flick through that again. I saw a lot of stuff in it. I don't want to see details, obviously. But oh
1: no, just flick through that again. I mean, yeah, I'm not even doing it the right way up, so you couldn't even that's read right. it.
0: Yeah, that's it. Now, uh, are yeah. you are you right-handed or left-handed?
1: Left-handed. Me too. Ah, I bet there's a connection there.
0: <laughs> do you? Do you uh, this I might fall flat on my face here, but do you tend to start at the back and, and of the book?
1: Oh yeah, I do sometimes do that. But do you write like? Because I've like kind of had to retrain myself <laughs> how <laughs> to write. I mean, I've got terrible handwriting as it is, so even if someone found my list, they'd never be able to read it. Right. But yeah, because I'm left-handed, I would just—I just remember as a kid, like always wiping out the pens, you know, that yep. I'd write yep. with, and you'd have this smudge, and the teacher would be like, "Oh, why can't you write like the other kids?"
0: <laughs> well, this is it. I sat next to a boy called Giles Clinker, great name, uh, and yeah. he was left-handed, and he did that thing where he he, he craned round yeah. right from the the top, yeah, so that you've got this hook,
1: yeah. Um, My I never does could that. do that. No, yeah. I no I can't either. Your I'm brother just... does that, did you say? Yeah, my brother's left-handed too <gasps> and he does it. Too. Two yeah. lefties? Yeah. Crazy, lefties. right?
0: Yeah, so I I never did the hook thing and then of course when we when they gave us like cartridge pens, it was smudged. It was a dreadful thing. I've never had that problem since. It's never it's never cropped up in my mind. I've never thought yeah. I'm smudging my hand. Well, right my
1: now. uncle was left-handed but then he went to a boarding school where back in the day he wasn't allowed to be left-handed. And so now he's ambidextrous because basically yeah. the teachers forced him to yeah. learn how to write with his right hand. yeah. But, I mean, I still can't even draw a circle with my right hand, to be fair.
0: Well, I can't either. But you've got a raft of left-handers then in your,
1: in yeah. your family. Yeah, it's right. yeah, it's weird. Yeah.
0: When you said ambidextrous there, you say you can't write with my right hand. I mean, I don't think I could write with my right hand either. But you're a pianist, obviously. Yeah. Now, I think that has, um, I, I would class myself as quite ambidextrous as a result of that. Do you, do you, uh, have you had the same effect on your life?
1: I mean, I think I definitely have a stronger left hand than I would have done, you know, in the piano if I was right-handed. But at mm. the same time, like, I mean, yeah, but it's weird because I find, like, playing keys is so different to holding a pen. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> you know? that's true, like, yeah. It's mm. completely different, different muscles. And, and on the one hand, I'm like, I'm really good at doing stuff with... With both hands in a lot of cases, mm. but when it comes to writing, that is absolutely mm. not one of them. No, but... I
0: mean I find like you know silly things. I clean my teeth with my right hand and stuff like that. Do you? I, yeah, and and um, being an Englishman, of course, I have a, had the occasion to play cricket, and uh, <laughs> and and I bowl left-handed. You have
1: to do that to get the passport, right?
0: You really do. <laughs> yeah, I, I I bowl left-handed, uh, but I bat right-handed. <laughs>
1: I'm just waiting for my Irish passport, and I think you just need to down like a shot of, you know, a pint of Guinness <laughs> to get that one. But
0: <laughs> well, yes, because you're, you're. I, I read your Irish Dutch. Is yeah. that parentage?
1: Yeah, parentage. Yeah, my mum is Irish and mm. grew up in Dublin, and mm. that's where like all the Irish families still. So they live to like a hundred and ten, so they're all still cracking on in Dublin, <laughs> and all yep. my aunties and uncles and cousins are there. And then my dad is Dutch. But I've had a, like a very weird mix, really, because I was born in Belgium, because my parents were both working for the European courts back then in Brussels. Wow. And then we moved to Holland when I was about six. And then, yeah, I was brought up kind of like English, French, Dutch. And then the French kind of faded. And I had to learn Dutch at like eight years old, nine years old. And it was terrible at it for a long time. And then my parents now live in Italy. And I moved to the Ooh. UK, so it's kind of like been all over. So whenever people are like, "Oh, so where's home?" I'm just like, uh, "Europe." Like,
0: <laughs> well, I was about—you know—I was about to say that very thing. I was about to say, "Well, you're a true European." I was going to say, "Where is where feels like home?" But
1: it is just—it's not- Europe, yeah, yeah, okay. all of it. And I'm including the UK in that still. Well, I can because
0: because when I've experienced people um, who have a sort of a, a nomadic childhood, with, I mean, would you? It sounds like you had a nomadic childhood. Is that fair to say? You're
1: a, yeah, I think. Well, culturally, definitely. Yeah.
0: Right. But when I speak to people like that, I remember a, a guitarist I was in a band with, and he was, I think, you know, he started out in Hong Kong and then he ended up in sort of Africa. And then, when I speak to those people, they 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 tend to. I'm quite jealous of their their aloof, their objectivity on life. There tends to be an inherent um, yeah, an objectivity that comes from all never being rooted but always looking from the outside in
1: I mean, I think it's that's like, another way to describe commitment issues, but yeah, we'll go with that <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, are you feeling you lack the are you feeling you lack the opposite then
1: no, but like I don't feel particularly rooted, I think, to one place, but i do I do love that, and I do love moving, so yeah, I moved to Berlin three years ago now, nearly yeah. and that kind of was a total whim decision and you know i'd been in the uk for nearly 10 years and then i you know kind of fancied a change and then brexit happened and i was like well maybe now's a good time to like start looking around (laughs) and then i moved here and like i love i love that feeling of just like you know moving to a new place meeting new people being surrounded by different creatives different languages like that's what i love Mm. about europe also is that you don't have to go far to have so much diversity Mm. and variety
0: yeah, I mean I I think uh, uh, I I was debating on the way up here today whether I because the whole point of this is I don't really talk about m- myself well I think I do possibly but I'm not supposed to talk about myself as much I'm supposed to talk about you but I I, w- I wondered whether I should um allude to the fact that I'm I'm fu- I'm finding a lot of challenges in the world at the moment along with everyone else hmm. um but obviously uh people in in music and theater and stuff are undergoing a lot of challenges. And when you when you describe you like that, you love that ability to be able to go uh, and enjoy new cultures, enjoy new languages, and and share different influences. I feel I feel that that is the thing that I'm feeling robbed of most. When I think of the most joyous occasions in my life, I think of being in say Khartoum in Sudan and playing my. Yeah. odd western music to a bunch of people yeah. who are completely open-minded to yeah. it and then eventually you win them over and that that beauty of yeah. going in as a freshman uh with your instrument and winning them over and then getting that 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 uh yeah. adulation but the accolade back that they understand yeah. your language yeah. and i feel that that is what i'm struggling with at the moment personally. yeah
1: no totally like i completely agree and that's something that i think in the beginning Of lockdown, you know, I had an eight month stretch where I didn't come back to the UK, whereas before I was always going back, you know, every apologies, it's my email, let me close that.
0: (laughs) Oh, I didn't hear anything. Oh,
1: good. Oh, that was just me then. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think in the beginning, I kind of thought like, oh, you know, I saw that there was a lot of unnecessary traveling in a sense that I was like, oh, look at that. There's a lot I can actually do without Mm. needing to go back. But then after a while, I was like, yeah, but it, sometimes it isn't even about the whole getting stuff done. It's about having having the different, you know, surroundings and, you know, mm-hmm. being able to actually, I don't know, like broaden your experiences a bit. And that is like definitely what I missed, missed the most as well. Yeah. And I went back to London uh, Last week, was it? <laughs> Two weeks ago, I can't even remember yeah. now. But that was the first time in eight months. And then I was just like, oh, gosh, it was just so good to be somewhere else. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, that's funny, you know, because the irony of that is I think I'd like to be anywhere else but London for, at this precise moment. Um, mm. But I get that, you know, that's what I love about traveling is you have that beautiful holiday experience. I mean, I think I think you know what you alluded to there. It rubs up against that this sense of sort of we need to protect the planet and we're worried about the planet and we do over travel. But then at the same time, I think that's the dichotomy. I think that there needs to be a balance in a in an artist's life. Um, I, I I keep picturing that you know the sort of fairy tale idea of a of a of a traveling. A travelling artiste with a with a stick and the knapsack on the end, you know, and sort of. I I could quite easily, if someone gave me the chance, if we weren't surrounded by water, I think I'd just get up and walk right now. I have responsibilities and I can't do that. But I'm, I'm getting wanderlust badly.
1: Yeah, definitely. But I think there's. It's like with everything, right? We're doing so much to excess, or we were, and now it's kind of gone. To the complete opposite end of the spectrum, and that's not healthy either. It's just no. you know about finding that midway. But I mean, you've been out to Berlin, haven't you? Uh,
0: yes, I've done a lot of my recent uh, recording and certainly mixing. Mm. I've got I've got a little network of people out in Berlin who I love to go and see, and and I um I went down to the uh, the Funk House and did a, nice. a couple of days there, which was obviously very luxurious. Yeah. Um, and it became the center point. It became the focal point for. Um, my my personal journey was I, I kind of lost touch with the piano. Mm. Um, I um went off into the world of electronic music, and if you you can't see particularly behind me here, but if you if you were to sort of reach out through this this Zoom conversation, you'd see um a lot of equipment. I've got a lot of stuff that I bought in order to try and find the answer to to the to whatever the question was, and then it was only by going to Berlin and having an experience. Kind of like the one you have just described, where you you get a new, fresh perspective. I suddenly sat down at the piano, and oh crikey, I've neglected the one my one big voice. It's yeah. my it's my it's my deepest connection. My my closest soulmate is the piano. Yeah, um, and I'd neglected it in the quest for something else, uh, and then I so I found it in Berlin. So I kind of I think of Berlin in that way, and and um, I've uh, I've also been reflecting on how I felt about Berlin. Um, as a, as a, as a place of re, literal reunification, I remember I'm old enough to remember when the wall came down and I kind of, I went over that way pretty soon after I found myself in the old Czechoslovakia, now Czech Republic. And yeah. very soon after and experienced that, the the beauty of, of the sort of strange, um, oppressive beauty of, of the Soviet regime uh, crumbling or crumbled, yeah. um, and uh, so I, I have a sort of a deep romanticism about that part of the world. Yeah. Uh, also, that um, entwined with what my my classical music edu- education, which goes even further east, where I just worship Shostakovich and that kind of oh, that, that um, you know that the Soviet composers, particularly him, the, that that sort of level of classical music. I was that's my personal love. So anything kind of east of East Berlin, yeah, I, I, I do have a that's, bit. That's of That's
1: kind of funny, though, that you came out to Berlin like delving into electronics and Berlin made you step back to the piano you just kind of went, you know what, I'm all right. I'll just, yeah. <laughs> never mind. Yeah. I was just kidding.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that was, yeah, it was just, a, it was the literal reunification with the piano and, and uh, I'd, I'd, got, I'd put too many things in the way. Um, yeah. But I mean, what's your relationship like with your piano? I mean, piano, yeah, in I mean, the, not I in just... the literal sense, but.
1: Well, well I I think in a sense, you know, I I didn't come from like a strictly classical or strictly jazz background. I was always doing like a lot of kind of improv and composing, but also like songwriting and started kind of like writing for theatre and film and stuff like quite early on. So I wouldn't say like I haven't always felt as confident as a classically trained pianist would, you know, at yeah. the at the piano being like, right, this is my one and only. It was more like the tool I was most comfortable writing with. But I'd always kind of also delved into production. And then I do have to say, like, since coming to Berlin, initially... I was kind of distinguishing myself more like, well, I'm not in the electronic music scene, you know, definitely not. I'm doing something completely different. And here, you know, a lot of people would be like, oh, you're definitely classical, whereas Mm -hmm. I would never dare say that to a proper classical musician. Right. But I have to say over the years, I have just found myself like I just bought a Moog and, I, you know, I have kind of like been sneaking in these scents and being like, oh, but it is so fun. So I've kind of also had this thing where I stepped away. And I think because often I was kind of, at least growing up, seen as, you know, like, oh, the cute blonde girl behind the piano writing pretty music that made me want to write really dark, angry synth music that kind of went like, nope, I'm not going to be that stereotype. Mm. (laughs) And so that kind of made me delve into it more. And I think actually in my film stuff and composing stuff now, that's where I've most found myself. And now that I'm comfortable with that, I've started sneaking back in the piano, and I'm like, okay, now you can can come back. But that's a fairly recent thing, I'd say. Also,
0: but yeah, that's interesting. Like you, say, interesting you say about um, not daring to say that you're classical in any way. Um, I, I think I suffer the same predicament. Although, even though I was trained, I never felt part of that scene. So, I, and and I know. I think yeah. we both know what it would take to be a truly classical pianist, in other words, you know, that almost... Like, I, I that's was the always same,
1: sold, I was trained, but
0: yeah. not I in was the way... Sold the, I was always sold the idea that, you know, if you really want to be a true classical pianist, then you, you essentially don't gig till you're about 35, you know, and I always, you yeah. know, until you're, until you're perfect. And yeah. I always thought, stop that for a game of soldiers, you know. I'm, yeah. I, I love live performance too much. Um, yeah. So I, I kind of went up yours and went off on my own path. Yeah. Um, so I understand your fear about saying, admitting your classical. But if you've got an ear for it, and you you're able to admit it, you know.
1: Yeah, totally. But thing. then you you started gigging. Did you start gigging before composing, or both at the same time, or like did the studio come after the gigging?
0: Way after the gigging, really? Started Very at fourteen, and I didn't. I I didn't dare call myself a composer for. Oh, a lot of years after that, a lot of years.
1: Really? Ah, yeah. oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Are I you the other of, way around? I'm the other way around, yeah, Ooh. kind of. I mean, well, I, you know, I did, like, growing up, I was gigging with, like, bands and stuff, but that was also just part of, you know, being a teenager and adolescent and being like, oh, you know, fun. I wanted to be part of that kind of music scene. Mm. But then as soon as it kind of went into proper gigging, I just felt more comfortable kind of hiding in a studio. And I just realized that I really wanted to just write and have someone else, you know, to to Mm -mm. front it all. And Mm -mm. so I stopped performing probably at the age of 21 and really focused on just kind of pursuing composition for film and TV. And then it really wasn't until I met Anna that, you know, it was meant to be, Ava was supposed to just be a studio project, just something for fun that wasn't for a film or TV program. Mm. And then that kind of developed. And then suddenly, you know, it was like soon after I met her, she kind of challenged me and was like, hey, do you want to do you want to do a gig with me in like two weeks' time? And I'd only just met her. And I was kind of like, yeah, sure, because at that time I'd just say yes to everything and figure out how to do it afterwards.
0: Oh, good philosophy, by the way.
1: Good <laughs> yeah, still do no, that. No, it is. But it's, it was, a,
0: it's a great philosophy.
1: Yeah. And then I kind of went, oh, shit. Like I have not been on a stage in like I think seven, six, seven years. And then yeah, I just studied my arse off for two two weeks, learnt her album, and we got up on stage together. And then we were kind of like, Oh, oh, this is cool. Like there's something here. And that's when it kind of all evolved. But you so know, did it was, you enjoy
0: you enjoyed it then? You enjoyed the it? I
1: loved it. But I think oh. in my head I always associated it with because I used to be more in like rock and funk bands and I was singing mm. also as well as playing piano. So it was a very different experience and this was the first time i was playing music that i really was so passionate about and that i really wanted to make and i was suddenly like oh we can do instrumental stuff on stage like oh this is so cool yeah
0: yeah. well that's 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 um we are polar opposite then in fact i think in terms of where our comfort zone is yeah um because mine my comfort zone is is on stage and i've always felt a slight um slightly behind the eight ball on the studio and the recording element of it. It feels like, the, to me, it always feels like the, the the sort of poor relation. It's not. I'm not saying it is at all, but I, yeah. it always feels like, for me, uh, in terms of what I can yield from it, yeah. it always feels like it's a poor relation. Whereas if I'm face-to-face with someone, I I, I really feel a- a- alive more than anything yeah. else. But you're, you, what you're saying about production um, and composition, I guess that lends itself to working to picture enormously then.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess it it started off just being like, I mean, I I think I first got, well, Fruity Loops, and then Cubase, and Reason, and all these, and I was just really into like, all of the technology that was coming out from maybe the age of like 12, 13. And then Mm. it was more just about recording my ideas. And then it wasn't until later on, that I was like, okay, but what can I do with all of this? And then, yeah, I think during uni, it was kind of like, well, you either go down the artist route or you go down the writing music for, you know, other other art forms or visuals or whatever route. And that's the one that I kind of felt most comfortable with because it wasn't necessarily about you, you know, it was more just about the music you were writing. And I, I did quite like that. So I kind of thought, okay, that's the route I'm going to go down and then yeah
0: so but but uh, your 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 artist output then obviously it's going to fall in it's a dreadful um uh, a name for a genre, but it's sort of soundtracky. I get it thrust at me all the time. You know, oh, your music's very soundtrack.
1: Cinematic. Cinematic. There say. you go. That's, yeah. uh,
0: just as bad. Cinematic. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: know there isn't a good one though, is there? No. Like-
0: but I, I mean, but I, I I do balk at the word. But I actually think it's a glorious thing. But uh, if I'm honest about my musical taste and the things that I enjoyed most as a kid, I was listening to soundtracks. I was a John Barry yeah. fanatic. Um, yeah. he, uh, I was more Ennio obscured-
1: Morricone. All over, like he's yeah, the one yeah. who just made me go, Yeah, this is what I would do, and also the fact that I then you know got to see him live at like 87, uh, 88, 89 years old, conducting yeah. an orchestra on mm-hmm. tour. I was like, That is what I want to be when I grow up.
0: Well, that's how I feel about John Barry. Funny enough, I was watching Before the Revolution by Bertolucci the other day, and he's 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 the composer for that. Um, Amazing. Um, Yes. That's exactly how I felt about John Barry. I went and yeah. saw John Barry conduct at the Royal Albert Hall and um I've always secretly wanted that to be me and, and I'm still kind of navigating my way towards that. Yeah. Um but it's That will um, be
1: you. <laughs> mm? That will be you. It's on yeah, your Yeah, and list, it will be you. Right? <laughs> well, we'll do a double
0: bill. What we'll do, I'll do the Tuesday and the Wednesday. You can have the Thursday and the Friday, okay? Perfect. I'll take right. that. <laughs> but um, you, said, you said something really uh, I, I, it lit a, a spark in me a little bit earlier. You said um, that you love to um, more or less put yourself in a difficult situation and then dig your way out of it. Now, yes, the story
1: th- th- of my life. <laughs> right, but
0: this, okay, now but I, I was i was taught in the dark ways of doing that very early on i i met a guy um who's still a very dear friend of mine he was a lot older than me he was in his late 20s his name was martin and he ran a company um in near where i lived in southall just outside the heathrow airport where i was yeah. brought up and um he he was sort of quite high up in his father's company it was i think it was a freight company or a packing company of some kind and their philosophy was um Take on a problem, say yes, and then worry about how you do it later. He taught me that, and it's been my my philosophy ever ever since. And I think it's extremely exciting, extremely stressful. Can get you into really bad places and really amazing places. Absolutely, but I, I can't shake it. So but tell it makes me makes you that...
1: feel alive. That's
0: exactly. Thing. Yeah. So although we kind of say it with a little bit of shame, like oh, well, I'm, I kind yeah. of just take on a problem. Clearly, yeah. you flourish with it. So explain to me how it works for you.
1: I mean, it's it's just the same thing I've kind of done all my life is where I kind of think like, okay, I'm aiming way too high, but I'm just going to roll with it and, mm. and see how far I get. So anytime someone would be like, hey, so can you do this? I'd be like, yeah, of course. And then I'd turn around and be like, okay. Like I remember the first composing commission I got was they wanted circus music. Mm. And I was literally just like, oh my God, like I have no idea. Like, because I'd have to program everything. I couldn't record, you know. And yeah, I mean, you just stay up six nights in a row, <laughs> you know, yeah. and you yeah. work it all out. And I think it's always because of those chance, little chance events mm. that I've just kind of said yes to without knowing how to do it, that stuff has started to happen. And it makes it does kind of put you in really stressful positions where I've, you know had nights where or evenings where I've thought why why did I do it again like I should not have said yes to that at all (laughs) but at the same time like I'm I'm addicted to that adrenaline of then like working it out and then being like okay and I think that's also something you know that I've noticed this year is that like I'm just really bad at not being busy (laughs) I'm Uh really bad at not you know not keeping having the tools to keep myself busy even if it's like totally constructed you know in my yeah. own head but it's 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 finding that thing and so like now I feel like these last few months I've kind of you know partially it has gotten busy and partially it's been of my own construction and now I'm like okay yeah now now I'm back in my elements again where I can just you know roll with it
0: yeah, well, that, that's—I mean—that's a lovely light bulb moment to hear someone else say that because I'm really struggling with not being busy. I, I mean, there there have been times in the last six months where I've made myself busy. I think yeah. I think at this time it's down to you to kind of—if if you're not busy, make a project, make something happen. That's uh, it, and, that, and it's
1: the difference yeah. between being reactive and proactive.
0: Exactly, but it also it makes you an autodidact, whether whether you are by na- by nature or whether you are out of this philosophy. But I think m- my feeling is i know a lot of stuff but it's all really wonky you
1: know, <laughs> yeah
0: the way i've worked it out is really wonky and I, and it worries me at times so if someone said to me for instance as i'm sure they do to you very often could you uh, make a string arrangement of such and such um i would be very scared of how i would write it out because i think i'd write it out j- basically for me and my head and i think others. In fact, I've had experience of it. Others look at it and go, "What the hell is this you've just written? This is utter nonsense." But I know what it means because I yeah. I much prefer to teach myself. But there is something to be said for studying things properly. But I just haven't got the patience.
1: No, no, totally, I get that. I mean, I also kind of feel like you learn so much just by trial and error, you know. But mm. it doesn't mean that you ever really delve into the the nuances of learning something very, very well. Yeah. But it's kind of like on a need to know basis a lot of yeah. the time, for me at least. And it's kinda of like, mm-hmm. Okay, well what do I need to prioritize really? You know, and I had all these grand plans where I was like, Oh, I'm gonna pick up this classical repertoire this year again. I'm gonna study, you know, technique on the piano for three hours a day, no problem. And you know, it it always it, it just doesn't happen in that way. Mm-hmm. It's just like whatever whatever you want to finish sooner comes first.
0: Uh, we didn't go into detail about your your piano training but it, it was is that slightly autodidactic as well or it, uh, were you classically trained to the point where you were you were sort of then let off the leash
1: yeah no it was like i was a very stubborn kid uh-huh. <laughs> so yeah. it started off with classical training but then mm. i kept changing the notes, basically, being uh, like, I think it should go this way. Like, what's a twat really like who does that, you know? Well but, or what
0: an improviser. Uh, what a natural improviser. Well
1: that's that's the the side that my teacher chose to lean into, thankfully. Oh. And he kind of went, you know what, let's just let's just focus on improvising more, you know? And so right. that's why when he started encouraging me, really at the age of like eight, nine to we'd still continue some of the classical repertoire but it'd be like every week you know you can write your own song and bring that Mm. in and we'd kind of like go with that and then Mm. that's what kind of developed into me just like writing down all these compositions and trying to record them and having some kind of you know I recently found like all the folders and it's hysterical to see back especially as soon as I started songwriting at like 12 13 the lyrics oh my god You'd have thought I'd been through so much. They're so dramatic. Oh, really? And awful. But at the same time, it was just catharsis. You know, it was just.
0: I've been back over at my old notebooks and I used to write poems, philosophical poems about spiders in the bath. That was more my kind of level, really.
1: Brilliant. I had all these love stories and I'd never, you know, I'd never kissed a boy till I was like 15. I'd know, you know. Is is it?
0: But it is for me, I think, yeah. <laughs> Compared to me, definitely. I'm still waiting.
1: Nowadays, I think it's considered late, but, you know. Ah.
0: <laughs> but um, are, are you – is is music and all its, sort of, all its, uh, you know, additional elements, is that entirely your focus or are you multifaceted? Are you – do you indulge in other areas of art, for instance, or other are there other areas of your life that are – you need them in order to make the music work or you need them for your headspace, or are you music or a complete music
1: focused person? I think by nature, I definitely have a, like I have an obsession leaning personality for sure. So I'd be very good at just like, and I did for like years just have music encompass all, you know, and it is, it it was just an obsession. Like I live and breathe it. And whenever people would be like, Hey, what do you do outside of work? And be like, huh? Well, What do you mean? I don't get it. But that is something that actually I don't think was a good quality in myself at all. And over the last few years, I've kind of realized how much I need to like really prioritize the other things that I need, which is definitely art exhibitions that Ah. feeds me nature massively. So, you know, now it's like every week, at least once a week. I just go out to a forest or a lake here and I just, I just go walking and record sounds and sometimes on my own, sometimes I bring a friend, but normally it's just to like completely decompress. And I feel like I'm so much more productive in the week having done that. And it's, it's the same with art and film and like I do, I I love going to see other productions and you know, that's something that obviously now is different and Mm. And here in Berlin, it's kind of—I mean—live events haven't come back, but at least exhibitions are possible again. And I only went to my first one in ages last week, and now I'm I just enti- I ent- them.
0: yeah, I hear you, hundred um, percent. I mean, that's—it's—it's it's absolutely essential to bring in those other um, mediums to to what you do. It it really does feed it, and and I think that we are. We're, we're only mirrors after all we're only reflecting back what what gets fed in we, we do need you need to sort of put coins in the machine as it were yeah and I and I think that's you know as you say n- not having those things around at the moment makes it harder to find that inner because I think you can make the mistake of looking so hard inside for that spark of creativity and you can be you can walk in the wrong direction for so long Completely. for so far
1: When actually, like, you are inspired, at least I am very inspired by everything that's around me. And I think there's much more there. And that's the same again, I guess, you know, it comes back to traveling and having different experiences and meeting different people. And you're also hearing different processes, you know, I find really interesting, even just hearing other artists and composers talk about what things inspire them. And it's just about not making everything about your own experience, really And yeah. just you know, opening up a bit more. But I mean, yeah. what what have you found in London? Then,
0: <laughs> I I've not looked in London because I think. Um,
1: Are you based in London? I have got were... a studio. Where I'm talking right.
0: to you from my studio in West I see. London. Yes, but I live out in the countryside. It's about an hour's drive. Oh, nice. um, So I have both sides, um, and uh, that's obviously a blessing. For, well, it it. it yeah, I mean I had the I went and and recorded I, I set up a studio at home Um, it was there for about 10 years. And it was only about two years ago that I decided I wanted to commute. I wanted to feel some Londonisms uh, and I wanted to feel... a. And I'm in this um, studio here where there are lots of other studios and there's all sorts of through traffic. I mean, there hasn't been so much in recent months, but
1: um,
0: theoretically, that's what's supposed to be going on. And I found that extremely invigorating just having passing traffic, people knocking on the window and saying hi and all that stuff. I found that really important. Where I've looked for inspiration... Uh, has been purely in film recently I've 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 scoured the BFI archive going I love film anyway always have loved film it's in the the blood of my family we just we've always loved film and I kind of, I suppose I secretly pride myself on the notion that I have good taste and I'm always trying, I'm always trying to improve that taste, sharpen that taste. And and I've gone, I've gone into the very obscure depths of the BFI recently. In fact, I think you've got an association with the BFI if I'm, if I'm right.
1: Yeah. Well, white riot. You just done a film
0: white riot. Yes. Tell me about that.
1: Exactly. Well, I, so that won the Grierson award last year and that was shown at the BFI LFF. And I think it was partly funded by the BFI. But yeah, that's Mm. a, um, feature documentary by rubika shah on the rock against racism movement in london mm-hmm. in the 60s and 70s super cool documentary but like that was also a a, a long a long-standing project which started i think as a bfi short yeah. in 2015 so it's mm. it's been and now it's now it's in the cinemas, isn't it
0: and uh, mark mode I, I saw his review yeah. of it and he clearly he clearly loves it which is always a bonus when he likes it because,
1: yeah um, yeah he's, no, he's, got he's got a very exactly.
0: trustworthy taste doesn't he really
1: oh it's amazing and he played some of the score which wasn't he i haven't <clears throat> even actually released the soundtrack album so i i'm still unsure as to how he got it <laughs> to be honest because he was not <laughs> even like a proper master hmm. but on his radio show and i was just like oh my god this is amazing yeah. like it was yeah. so cool but yeah, I am, I am going to be releasing a soundtrack album. But again, you know, like it was very, it's a very new thing to me also that like you can kind of be both where you can comp- compose for film and release music and perform live. And, mm. you know, and it's amazing. Um, but I don't think I could ever do without all the other art forms. And I definitely, mm. that, you know, that's what I love about writing for film and visuals.
0: When you when you say you sort of you love to be able to flit almost, almost between uh, these different mediums and these different these inspirations, um, that must demand a fairly free style of living in terms of you need to be free to express yourself and to go on a whim at any given moment. Is that true?
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm not. I, do, I don't do well tied down. Well, that. That's... <laughs> You're going to have to cut that, actually. <laughs> that, that comes across very wrong. <laughs> no, it
0: doesn't. I, no, I, I don't think it does. It doesn't because um, I think there's a natural tendency in all of us, despite, regardless of the living situations or the personal situ- situations we're in, I think we're always battling that. I was saying to someone the other day, I mean, I, I watched a Nina Simone interview recently, and she said quite categorically that she... Music comes first and foremost. I think the, the the battle, the battle is is where music comes, and the battle is always for me. I'm always defending its place at the top of my list. Yeah, um, it's not. I, I'm not. I'm. It's not pleasant to be defending that position sometimes. No, it's not, because
1: you, you, it makes you quite self conscious about yeah how you can't let go of that being the first thing on your list. Yeah. Right, but
0: it, but it, and it's it's inherently quite a selfish thing.
1: Yeah, definitely. So composers are so egocentric. So.
0: Yeah, but but how so? How how challenging is that to yours, and so not your ego, but your sense of self? That that um, your profession. Can we say that your profession, as is mine, is a selfish profession? Then would you say that?
1: I think I think it's something I've thought about a lot this last year, actually, and I think it's something that my perspective has definitely changed on in in the last few years and I think I used to kind of be like well yeah it's a selfish profession in order to well you need to kind of be that obsessed with it but actually I've I've kind of completely changed my mind on that because I think you know also as with music you can reach so many people and I think we do kind of have a responsibility to also use it for good in whatever way possible Mm. and to also you know change the industry from the inside out into a better industry, into a more inclusive industry, into a more accepting industry, into a more healthy industry in general. So I think there's lots of different things where I've kind of gone, actually, why does it have to be a selfish profession? I don't think it has to be. I think that's just kind of what I assumed it should be from the role models that I had seen, you know? And now I kind of think, actually... I really enjoyed doing documentary also for the reason that it kind of crosses over between highlighting important issues in the world Mm -hmm. and music and the same with like campaigns and the same with using nature for inspiration or for raising awareness about, you know, all all kinds of issues. And so I think there's a way for everyone to make it um, an altruistic profession at times.
0: I mean, certainly what you're describing there is, is, is a very you know, open, liberated or, or sort of very um, socially minded approach. But yeah. I, I just wonder if, if it still doesn't come down to the fact that you as an individual, when you're alone in your studio, that you have to protect something. And in that in that is inherently, uh, you have to be fairly selfish at times and go, well, actually, it's not that you come first, but the music must come first.
1: Yeah yeah no, I get I get what you're saying. yeah. I think, in terms of like my you know, direct surroundings and my day to-day living, for sure, yeah, it is. but it that's I've never been able to not put it fast <laughs> right. you know, and I've never, and in that sense, does that I think, cause problems? I mean, yeah, I've definitely had years where I've not been as good of a friend or, you know, I've Aww. I've not been as good as a as a partner or as good because I'm just like, no, the music has to come first. But I think that's also part of just, you know, finding finding that balance between prioritizing when is it about yourself and when is it about the music?
0: Well, I think you 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 touched on something quite uh, interesting or quite important there. And when you said that, that it's shifting, because I I found I I, I mean the, the, the most frightening thing in the world was to have children, which I do have. I yeah. have I have two children. Yeah. Um. But there was, you know, they're getting on a bit now. But but there was a time when I thought, well, this is dangerous. You know, this is really dangerous. And then what happened was, I was like, the most liberate. As probably most parents would tell you, you know, the most liberating thing in the world is to suddenly not think about yourself for five minutes. Yeah. And actually, that that made the music healthier my t- the time that I spent with it was much more focused yeah and and it had something to draw from yeah. rather than just being like no, a absolutely. self-fulfilling cycle. No, and I,
1: th- I think that's totally fair and like I-, I also do think you know that I always thought well if I'm gonna do this profession then I can't have children I'm not gonna have children <laughs> which you know is such a limited view and i definitely do not agree with that at all anymore but that is what i used to feel like you know mm. in my early 20s totally kind of thinking okay mm. well you know if if i really want to be dedicated it will just be a lot easier if that is all i do and you know my sole obsession And then actually, I also realized it's because I just didn't see that many role models around me who were able to combine it properly at the time. And, you know, there weren't that many women in composing 10 years ago that were at least displayed to me when I started off in the industry. And that has also changed because now I'm like, actually, I know so many amazing women who combine family life with an amazing career with touring with still seeing other art with having a social life and you know have a really multi-faceted interesting multi-dimensional life and like that's mm. what I aspire to now rather than having a one-dimensional obsession
0: just just out of interest I'm curious when you imagine you don't have children do you forgive me no
1: I don't no know. no just
0: I'm just imagining when, when you imagine looking forward you have this hypothetical child, mm. do you imagine that this hypothetical child will enjoy all the fruits of what you do alongside you and be fairly nomadic, or do you envisage that this will root you in any way?
1: I don't know, I think the first
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean that's what you'd hope for, isn't it really?
1: yeah, I would still because I would still kind of think well, that wouldn't necessarily you know it would I think it would change. The way I work in the same sense that you said, you know, your time becomes more focused and it's more kind of concentrated and more meaningful, perhaps, you know, rather than me having the luxury now to be like, oh, I'll just spend 18 hours in the studio today. Why not? You know, but on the other hand, I do also think, yeah, but, you know, if if I hypothetically had a young child, they'd be coming into the studio with me. They'd be coming on tour. They'd be, you know, they, I, I wouldn't, that wouldn't stop me from kind of trying to at least also show them a kind of multifaceted mm. lifestyle. I don't know. I mean, these are rich words for someone who doesn't <laughs> have kids. So I'm kind of thinking, like, I might take this all back, you uh, well, know, down yes, the line. But I, I have as you, no as you, idea.
0: As you, as you said earlier, you know, you 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 had very uh, different ideas in, in your early life. And, and this is what we do. We fluctuate. We change. And and we... I
1: guess it also just depends on, you know, what the world is like. Because, you know, yeah. I was... Also, like, b- having had such a nomadic upbringing is also, s- it's a privilege. You know, I'm very aware that it's something that came with privilege at the time. And so, like, I don't know if we'll have the privilege in the same way to be traveling between countries whenever we want or, mm. you know, to to not be rooted. Maybe, you know, we all will be a lot more rooted at the time. But yeah. I can't, yeah, I mean, I've never been the type to be able to say, like, oh, well, I see myself staying here for the next five years I'm mm. I I just I don't know where I want to be next year and I kind I'm, of like it that way I mean
0: from from my position I I guess I I'm I'm questioning now that my children are 12 and 14 and I'm questioning now whether I've succumbed too much to their whole notion of rooting them somewhere because I they are very much in that position they they have this it, it kind of sucks you in the system sucks you in
1: mm. um
0: and uh I, I'm I you I don't think you ever know any of the, you know, the answers. You you go through life changing your perspective, and I've got to that point where I'm going, have I have I succumbed too much to that system? But
1: saying that, I think you know, no. when kids start school and they make their friends and they feel rooted, yeah. I think that's also something you know. It's about them at that point. It,
0: it, that's entirely why it's happened. I mean, it yeah. would break my heart to say, "All right, guys, we're off to Argentina." It would. I, no, I just. Yeah. I, I would worry too much, you know, that I'd affected them too much. And yeah. I, I guess I've tried to. I tried to instill a, uh, instil a, a situation where my uh, lunatic career in life doesn't affect them too much. Uh, yeah. They have. They. They can have their own lunatic career in life. They. You know. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah
1: exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, but that that's how I think like when, when it comes to younger kids, it's a lot easier to say, oh, you know, you can kind of bring a young child around with you before they start school. And sure, you might not get as much work done, probably. But, hmm. you know, it, I think that's different to the school years because then I think it probably is beneficial for kids to find, you know, find their circle, to find their roots. And you probably just yeah end up staying with it for mm. for them but mm. i still don't really know where what country that would even be for me at this yeah. stage and like i absolutely love berlin i have to say it is an amazing place but i've just yeah i struggle to look that far into the future and be like well okay
0: well maybe you're always going to be that person who loves to as you did a couple of weeks ago, whenever it was, you went and saw Anna in yeah. she lives in Deal, doesn't she? Yeah. I believe. Yeah. Um in Kent, down by yeah. the sea, I think. I saw some yeah. photos, I think, of down by the sea. Yeah. And that was um as you said, that was a that was a lovely moment, right, to get back with her.
1: Oh, it was amazing. It was just, yeah, it was amazing. It was so nice to be by the sea and then I you know, I love going down there and staying with her family anyway and just to be back in the studio together and yeah, it was it was so good and it also did kind of really confirm to me how much I just missed moving around a little bit, you know, yeah. and and yeah, visiting places, but you know, I mean, it's it's such a luxury it feels at this stage that it's like well
0: it does but well let's hope there's more of that in the pipeline and there's more of you and anna getting together and making beautiful music um
1: oh yeah for sure well it was it was really fruitful so we've pretty much finished our second album now which is great oh fabulous so hopefully we'll we'll be back there soon
0: thanks to ashling brower and thanks for listening to the looking glass Please make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode.